Turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, where we're dealing tonight with verses 4 through 7. We'll begin our reading at verse 1 and read through verse 7. This is God's inspired and inerrant word. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia, and I urge Syncate to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reading of God's holy word. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Let's pray together for God's blessing on the preaching and the hearing of his word. Our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, in the 66 books of the Bible and in this book of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. We thank you, O Lord, for the Holy Spirit, the one whom you have ordained should lead us into all the truth. And we confess our need for the Holy Spirit in order to understand your word and in order to rightly apply your word. And so we pray, our God, that you would be pleased now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all the truth and to secure these significant words of life to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A recent world happiness survey showed that Bangladesh, one of the most impoverished nations of the world, ranks number one in the happiness of its population. On the other hand, the United States, one of the wealthiest, ranks number 46. The survey results showed this general pattern that the wealthiest nations of the world were not as happy as their poorer counterparts. However, the survey also showed that there must be other factors involved since the people of the former Soviet Union 
are neither rich nor happy, bringing up the rear in the list of those nations surveyed. Where is true happiness and peace found? What does the Bible say about the factors that impact your ability to live a joyous and peaceful Christian life? The great theme that runs through Paul's letter to the Philippians is joy and peace. The apostle is zealous to guard the Philippians in in this way against several impending threats. Chapter 3, verse 2, the Judaizers who were teaching uh, that it was necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised in order to become Christians. Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, false teachers within the church. Chapter 4, verse 2, as we've read in our text, disunity in the church and the threat of disunity. In our text, Paul presents a prescription for joy and peace. In the first place, Paul says, seek it in the right person. Secondly, deal biblically with relationships. And thirdly, don't be controlled by anxiety. Seek it in the right place. Deal biblically with relationships. Don't be controlled by anxiety. Paul teaches us in the first place that if we're to have joy and peace in the Christian experience, we must seek it in the right person. The false teachers that Paul had just mentioned in the context of chapter 4 here were seeking it in uh, the wrong places. Their God is their appetite, uh, their passions, in other words, he he writes. Uh, Their minds are set on earthly things. Their end is destruction. Unless there be any confusion, everlasting destruction is not compatible with joy and peace. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, James wrote in chapter 4 of his epistle. This was the fatal error of the false teachers, and this is the fatal error of anyone who seeks joy and peace in the wrong place. Paul says that true joy, verse 4, is found only in the Lord. In the Lord and in Christ are expressions that Paul uses repeatedly to refer to our union by faith with Jesus Christ. When the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always, he's telling us that our happiness is in this world, is bound up in our union with Jesus Christ. True joy is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be happy, you must seek happiness in the right person. One of our missionaries to Uganda once remarked from uh, this pulpit that when his children were young, 
And they woke up in a sour and complaining mood. He would say to them, your job is to get happy in Jesus. Now, he wasn't being flippant. It's quite the opposite. He was being sincere. He truly believed that if his children would get their hearts right, uh, that their sour and complaining moods would be melted away because they were finding their happiness someplace else outside of themselves and especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear Paul, children? Are you listening to the apostle, young people and adults, as, as important as it is uh, to do other things in our lives, to, to get an education, to earn a living, to have a career, to be married in the Lord and have a family, to have a comfortable retirement, etc. These things, Paul is saying to us, he's saying to you children, he's saying to you young people, he's saying uh, to all of us, to the young and old alike, that our happiness is not found in these things. They are not the source of of joy and peace. God is teaching you to look that to look for joy anywhere else than in the person of Jesus Christ is to set yourself up for a life of misery, disappointment, and discouragement. That's the powerful message of Ecclesiastes. Chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 1, Solomon says that he had it all. Brains, power, wealth. And yet his conclusion was this. Chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. Joy is found nowhere else but in God. Enjoyment amidst the, the vanity of this world that we find under the sun. That, that our joy is found nowhere else but uh, in our God. Now, if you're to find joy in the Lord, you must change the way that you think. God created men and women, boys and girls, with the capability to think, to will, and to emote, to feel. In God's divine design, our thinking was meant to be informed and shaped to be governed by his word. Thought, in turn, is to, to inform and influence the will. What we think and will should determine our feelings. Truth is king in the Bible. In God's word, sin overturned this divine design. Man's fall overturned it. Our wills are dominated by our feelings. Our thoughts are ruled by our wills. And as a result of sin's influence, we've been misled into thinking of joy as primarily a feeling, an emotion. 
Thus, we think that we're only able to rejoice when we feel good. But Paul is telling us to rejoice no matter how we feel. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, I say, rejoice. Your joy, Paul, as teaching here, is not to be based on how you feel about your personal circumstances, but on the fact of your union with the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Christ that God has revealed to us in his word. And the apostle has affirmed all of this by his stated aspirations and practice that are outlined for us in this epistle to the Philippians. Chapter 1 and verse 21. To live is Christ, he said. To die is gain. Why? Because then I'll be with Christ, Paul says. What does Paul want? Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. To be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own derived from the law, but that, uh, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of re- his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does Paul do? Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is significant for those who suffer from chronic illness and from the spiritual maladies such as anxiety or depression because it points us to the hope of perfection in body and soul in the resurrection. The apostle uh, therefore says regardless of his circumstances, uh, he rejoices. He's in prison as he's, uh, as he's writing this letter to uh, the Philippians. Uh, he's, he's spoken of some who are preaching Christ even from envy and, and strife. Uh, some out of impure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Paul says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Even uh, chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says that he's being poured out. the passive verb there means that it's someone else, it's God who is pouring him out as a drink offering. The sacrifice and service of your faith, he says to the Philippians, I rejoice and share my joy 
with you all. And so even when it seemed uh, to the writer of the 73rd Psalm that the wicked who spend their whole lives pursuing things and pleasure seem to prosper while the righteous suffer, he, in the course of the psalm, wakes up to his wrong thinking. And in his, his conclusion, he says, the Lord is my portion in this life. Psalm 73, verse 25. First part of Paul's prescription for happiness is to seek it in the right person, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul says we must deal biblically with relationships. Now, Paul had just been dealing uh, with relationships, with the importance of, of reconciliation here in verses 1 through 3. Uh, I urge Euodia, I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He's speaking about these two women who uh, were obviously instrumental in the life of the church there in Philippi. And he tells uh, these women, be reconciled for, for the sake of the church. Now he, Paul recognizes what uh, disunity, disharmony in the church does to uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And so he's urging uh, their reconciliation. And not only is this a threat to the joy of the church, it's a threat to your personal joy. You simply aren't going to be happy if you're carrying around unresolved relational issues. This is one of the greatest destroyers of marriages and families. It profoundly impacts the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, members of the church refuse many times to deal with relational issues. It seems they'd rather do anything but then to biblically, personally confront one another to resolve a problem, to deal with sin, to uh, deal with an offense. As long as you refuse to do so, Paul says, you will be robbed of your joy and peace in the Christian experience. I once counseled a man whose wife had unresolved relationships in her family that manifested themselves in their marriage and ultimately led to an unbiblical divorce. The relational issues weren't even with her husband. And yet because of the manifestation of these problems in uh, these relationships in the marriage, they destroyed the marriage and it ended in an unbiblical divorce. What's Paul's answer to the Euodia Syntyche syndrome? The apostle urges God's people to be gentle. 
with one another. He urged them to be reconciled. Here he's urging preventative measures. It's a preemptive strike, if you will, against relational problems. This is a parent's natural reaction to squabbling children. Be kind to one another, they say. You're brothers and sisters. You're related to one another by blood. Be kind with each other. Be gentle with each other. And here Paul is speaking to those whose bond is even deeper. It's even more profound. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Apostle is urging patience, he's urging gentleness, he's urging kindness. This particular word translated gentleness, forbearing or moderation occurs five times in the Bible, three times in the Apostle Paul. The other two occurrences in Paul are, the qualif- are in the qualifications for elders. In both cases, set in opposition to contentiousness. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, Titus for, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. If you're going to have this quality that Paul is speaking about, this patience, this gentleness, this kindness, uh, you're going to have to be delivered from the stubbornness that is a consequence of pride and selfishness. Have you ever known a proud selfish person who was happy. I've not met such a person. And it goes the other way too. A joyless person isn't likely to be a gentle person. To cap off his argument for working to make and keep relationships in the church right, he appeals again to their unity in Christ. The Lord is near, he says here in verse 5. Paul's point in referring to the second coming of Christ, whether here or elsewhere in his epistles, isn't whether or not it would happen in his lifetime or in the lifetime of his hearers. The point isn't when, but that Christ will return, and that you're to live your life in the reality that it could happen at any time because we don't know. We've not been told when Jesus will return again in glory. The righteous judge of all the earth will appear to evaluate your life whether there has been a spirit of gentleness and patience and kindness within the body of Christ, especially manifested in you, and whether you've dealt right with your relationships. So Paul says, seek it in the right place. He says, deal biblically with relationships. And then thirdly, the third part of this prescription is don't be controlled by anxiety. Here's a great enemy of joy and peace in the Christian faith. 
Now, anxiety comes in many forms, and you know them well enough. You can worry and fret about your finances, your children, your marriage, your employment, your future, on and on the list goes. Jesus, you remember, addressed the, uh, the issue of anxiety or, or worry, uh, recorded in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. But the bottom line, Jesus said, is that worrying, anxiety, won't get you anywhere. When you're done worrying, you'll be in the same place that you were when you started worrying. Verse 27, there in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be anxious about the future, Jesus said. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And verse 33, there in Matthew 6, is our Lord's prescription to rid yourself of anxiety, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. What things? The things that he's spoken about. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going, uh, how you'll be clothed. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. These things will be added to you. What's Paul's prescription to avoid the robbery of your joy and peace? It's not a pill so often resorted to even by Christians these days, it's prayer. Verse 6 here in our text. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's really no different than Christ's prescription, where he said, seek first his kingdom, and then he taught his disciples to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And here Paul says in our text, worry about nothing, pray about everything with thanksgiving. His point, someone has said, is that anxiety can't continue to breathe easily in an atmosphere saturated with prayer. Verse 6 in our text this evening is an expansive statement using several different terms relating to prayer. Supplication, thanksgiving, requests. So he's not referring to something haphazard or brief, but about the careful, continual, patient spreading out of your needs before God. And as we were just speaking about this morning, he includes thanksgiving in his multifaceted description, uh, as he often does in his letters to the churches. And isn't it clear why? The heart that has, uh, has opened itself up to God in gratitude will not remain in an anxious state. Counting your blessings is a concrete way to joy and 
peace. Do this, Paul says, and you'll receive peace from God that's beyond anything that you could possibly comprehend. The peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will stand guard over your heart and over your mind. And notice that this peace is found, he says, at the conclusion of verse 7, once again, in Christ Jesus. There's no real lasting peace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's temporary peace uh, in this world. And there's an elusive type of peace that comes and goes, but only believers receive lasting joy and peace, and that lasting joy and peace is found in Jesus Christ. The wicked know nothing of it. They know nothing of incomprehensible peace found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophet Isaiah says it twice. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Chapter 48, verse 22 of his prophecy, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Chapter 57 and verse 21. Peace is only found, true peace, lasting peace, eternal peace, is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul has made clear uh, uh, something that uh, those who are listening to this sermon this evening, whether here or outside through uh, other means, uh, through uh, the video stream or the audio stream, ought to play, pay close attention to, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, received Him by faith, approached Him by faith, received His righteousness by faith, uh, which we call justification, you must know that you will not know peace, and you will know the opposite of peace uh, in eternity, and namely everlasting destruction. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God, Romans 5 and verse 1. So there it is. In three verses, the Paul, Paul uh, presents us, uh, in four verses rather, he presents us with uh, three seemingly impossible tasks. Constant rejoicing, no matter what. A forbearing spirit that's evident to all and never being anxious. Impossible, it would seem, indeed. But the best and kind, kindest of all fathers never leaves his children without the tools to carry out his purposes for them. Within these verses, uh, we find these seemingly impossible tasks, but we also find the means 
to achieve these things. Find your satisfaction in Christ. Find your satisfaction in the Lord. Be gentle, patient, and kind. Show forbearance to one another in love, remembering that the reason we're able to do so, to love others in this way, is because God has first loved us. Be diligent in reconciling relationships in your families, but especially in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray about everything. With thanksgiving to God, who gives joy and peace to his children as a gracious gift. Let's pray. God, as we, our God, as we evaluate uh, our Christian experience, we, every one of us here tonight, every one of us listening to this sermon, wherever they are, knows within their heart of hearts uh, that they have not followed this prescription as they ought, that they have often ignored this, scripture, uh, this prescription, that, that we, O oh Lord, have sought to uh, find joy elsewhere than in our Lord Jesus Christ. We've sought it in many other things. Some of those things sinful. Uh, we've sought pleasure in things uh, that are contrary to your holy will. We have not, O oh Lord, been diligent in uh, the call to resolve relationships in the church especially, but uh, wherever those relationships are found. And we've not been diligent, O oh Lord, to pray about everything. So often we would rather talk to each other than speak to you in prayer about the things that are weighing our hearts down. And uh, even as we remembered this morning, we've not been a grateful people. We've not shown gratitude. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us hearts that would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Uh, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and find him in your holy word uh, to find our communion with him and in that communion, find the source of our true joy, and that you would enable us, O oh God, to find peace that passes all understanding. Be with those especially who uh, are habitually anxious, who are worriers. Teach all of us, O oh Lord, who all fall into that pattern far too often, of anxiety and worry. Teach us, O oh Lord, uh, to follow the prescription that you've given us and to be often before the throne of grace with prayers uh, and supplications and thanksgivings and petitions and let our requests be made known to you. 
And grant us, O Lord, these precious gifts of joy and peace as a gift from your hand. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.